Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. It's President's Day, a day we honor our U.S. presidents, but America's workforce is taking a different approach. Today on the show, the president of the American Federation of Government Employees and the Iron Workers. Welcome to the Monday, February 19th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Yes, it's President's Day. It's a federal holiday celebrated on the third Monday in February. Originally established in 1885 in recognition of President George Washington, the holiday became known as President's Day after it was moved as part of 1971's Uniform Monday Holiday Act, which is an attempt to create more three-day weekends for the nation's workers. Now, while several states still have individual holidays honoring the birthdays of Washington, Lincoln, and other figures, President's Day is now pretty much viewed as a day to celebrate all U.S. presidents. But here on America's Workforce, we are going to salute two union presidents, the first being Everett Kelly. Everett Kelly is the national president of the American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE.org is their website. This is the largest union representing federal and D.C. government employees. Everett began his first term of service as national president in February of 2020, was elected to another term during the 42nd National Convention, and that was in June of 2022. He's a longtime member of the union. He joined AFGE in 1981. He worked at the Anniston Army Depot and retired from there after 30 years of service. And he represented employees there as president of AFGE Local 1945. That was from the years of 2002 to 2011. In that position, he was responsible for five bargaining units with more than 4,500 bargaining unit employees. In fact, membership at 1945 more than doubled under his leadership, growing from 1,200 in 2002 to over 2,600 in 2010. We're going to talk about that. The guy knows how to grow membership, and that's what led him to be the national president of the American Federation of Government Employees. Got a rich history And in honor of Black History Month, this is what we're doing here on America's Workforce. And it's perfect, too, because he's also a union president, and today is President's Day. So we're going to talk about the struggles that he encountered. We're going to talk about uh, government spending, the need for proper government spending, and funding and passing the FAIR Act so government employees can get a pay raise and keep up with the private sector. There's a lot of people saying, you know what, I can't make it on this salary. So they're leaving the profession and that's happening across the board. Everett's going to talk about that. In fact, they just wrapped up their uh, legislative conference. He'll touch on that as well and uh, take a look at uh, what AFGE is going to do for the rest of the year when, when it comes to organizing. They had a banner year for organizing last year. We talked with the uh, organizing director on the show recently. 
about that. So Everett Kelly, national president of AFGE, will be our first guest. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Eric Dean. Now, Eric is the general president of the Ironworkers, one of the many proud sponsors like AFGE on America's Workforce. A little background on Eric. He completed his apprenticeship, my gosh, 40 years ago, 1984, became a journeyman iron worker. This was in Local 63 in Chicago. As an accomplished iron worker, Eric worked for various contractors as a journeyman, a foreman, and a project superintendent throughout the Chicago area. From 1989 to 1995, he served as an apprentice instructor, earned the status of certified welding inspector. He became very involved in his local, serving as conductor, trustee, vice president, business agent, recognizing his leadership skills. General President Jake West at the time appointed him general organizer for the international. That was in 1999. In 2005, he was elected as president of the Chicago and vicinity district council of iron workers. General president at the time, Joe Hunt appointed Eric as general vice president. That was effective in 2008. And then finally, General President Walter Wise appointed Eric Dean as General Secretary effective in February of 2011, and the General Executive Council unanimously elected Eric as General President effective July 1, 2015. We're going to talk about uh, the iron workers and infrastructure. You know, when the Biden administration came out with the Bipartisan Infrastructure and Jobs Act, that created a whole lot of jobs for people in the trades and the uh, Iron workers doing a lot of bridge work. They got a big project. This is called the uh, Blatnick Bridge Replacement. This is in Wisconsin. In fact, uh, Biden announced nearly $5 billion in funding for major infrastructure projects across the nation during a stop in Superior, Wisconsin. That was uh, last month. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about organizing and recruiting and uh and also pensions. We're going to touch on that because uh, pensions were protected in the American Rescue Plan. And that saved many locals, including the local that uh, I do the show. This is America's Workforce. And, you know, I want to call attention here, since this is President's Day, we did a really good show with Andrew Strom on uh, February 9th. If you go to awfpodcast.com, and we talked about how presidents, specifically Ronald Reagan, shaped U.S. labor law for decades. Now, we all know what he did with the air traffic controllers almost on day one, but there's a whole lot more and how he changed the National Labor Relations Board that went against workers. So do check that out, awfpodcast.com. All right, quick break. When we come back, Everett Kelly, president of the American Federation of Government Employees. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot 
The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at IFPTE.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment is brought to you by Blue Cross and Blue Shield's National Labor Office. Blue Cross and Blue Shield companies formed out of a need to provide affordable health care to teachers, loggers, and miners. Well, in 1965, the Blues developed the National Labor Office to strengthen its commitment to organized labor. Today, Blue Cross and Blue Shield's National Labor Office remains focused on America's workers advocating for affordable and equitable health care, partnering with strategic alliances to provide industry-leading products and services, and proudly serving more than 18 million unionized workers, retirees, and their families. Yes, working hard for America's working families for the health of America. You can learn more by following them at Blue Labor on LinkedIn and X, formerly known as Twitter. Well, as you know, today is President's Day, so we here at America's Workforce are talking to presidents. Presidents of unions, that is. And joining us on our live line right now is Everett Kelly. Everett Kelly is the national president of one of our great sponsors here on the show, the American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE.org. AFGE is the largest union representing federal and D.C. government employees. And Mr. Kelly began his first term of service as national president my gosh, right before the shutdown, February of 2020, and then he was elected to another term during the 42nd National Convention in June of 2022. There are some rough years for workers, no doubt about that. I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on that and more. But also, it is Black History Month, and we've been doing our best to talk to various union leaders about their history, their journey. And Mr. Kelly, welcome back to the show. It's been a while. we got to do this more often, sir, but... Uh, I want to I want to go back in time a little bit and well we need to refamiliarize our listeners. We get new listeners every day and the show's had tremendous growth. But I want to go back to when you were in high school. You grew up in Alabama. I saw that in your bio. 
But I want to go correct. back to the I want to go back to the time where you decided to go into the army. Now, was this your decision, or take me back to that time? Let's let's start right there, if you don't mind. Well, to be honest with you, and, and, and first of all, thank you for having me. I'm I'm always honored to be a part of what you're doing. Um, but in high school, you know, I was a pretty good student. I, I you know, uh, I guess I had pretty good grades and everything, and wanted to go to college right out of high school. But to be honest with you, I just didn't have the money. You know, my family didn't have the money. Um, you know, so uh, two weeks before I joined the Army, believe it or not, I said I would never join the Army, you know. Uh, but then I ran out of options, okay. If I wanted to really do something in life, I figured I needed to go in the Army, and I did. And believe me, that was probably the best decision I've ever made in my life. You know, I joined uh, the Army, went into... Uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, uh, 101st Airborne Division, I served three years, and I got out, and, you know, I entered the workforce, you know, and from there, you know, I'm here. Now, how many years did you spend in the Army altogether? Well, I spent three years in the regular Army, then I, I spent eight years um, in the Army Reserve, uh, and then I worked for the Department of Army for 31 years. Okay, so you you qualified then for the GI Bill, which which helped which helped pave the way for your education, did it not? You got that right. Yes, it, yes, I did. <laughs> and uh, I went to um, Central Alabama Community College um, for about three years, and uh, then I I um, went to Selma University in Selma, Alabama. From there. Um, Russian Spring School of Theology, where I uh, got my master's uh, of theology, and then to St. Thomas Christian University, where I got my doctorate. Uh, but it was all through the GI Bill uh, that helped me to obtain uh, my education. That is absolutely correct. Oh, you're you're one of many that took advantage of that uh, that legislation, and they updated too, as you as you well know especially for the younger generation getting involved in the union. Can we talk about that uh, at that time? Was there a reason you got involved in the union? Did somebody say, Hey, you know what? You want a better life? Join the union. Is that what happened? Well, what happened is I went to the union with a problem. Uh, at the time, the union just didn't solve the problem to my expectation. And so I decided I was going to get involved and make sure nobody else got uh, treated the way that I was treated. And, <clears throat> And as I did, you know, we was right in the middle of a presidential election at my local union. Mm -hmm. And there was a young lady there that I really didn't know. And, you know, I didn't support her for president. You know, um, her name was Charlotte Flowers. Um, I supported the guy that I knew. But guess what? She whipped his socks off and turned around and looked at me and asked me, if I wanted to be on her team. And from that day, she mentored me all the way to I, until I became national vice president. She mentored me as a steward, as a chief steward, as a vice president, then executive vice president, and then she became my national vice president and mentored me as a local president. And I succeeded her uh, as national vice president of district five. How about that? 
We should point out that Everett Kelly, again, a member of AFGE since 1981, worked at the Anniston Army Depot and retired there after 30 years of service. So uh, let's talk a little bit because I know last year, and we talked to your uh, organizing director, David Kahn, and uh, that was not too long ago, and he was talking to me talking to us about the banner year that you had for uh, organizing. And I, and I see that you did a pretty good job yourself at 1945, <laughs> local 1945. It more than doubled under your leadership. Yes, so, Mr. Kelly, what did you do to make that happen? Talk to me about that. Well, you know, I set out every day to sign somebody up in the union. I really did. You know, as I walked, you know, I met people. The first question I asked, my two questions I asked people, that, you know, as I met them. First of all, what's your name? Okay. Secondly, are you a member of the union? You know, mm-hmm. that, that those are the two questions I asked anyone that I met first. And if they said they're not a member of the union, you know, I asked them why. You know, but when you ask that question, you got to be ready and you got to have tough skin because folk are not bashful in AFGE. They will tell you exactly what's on their mind, so you got to be ready to hear it. And I heard a lot of negatives, and I went out and I tried to fix those negatives, right? I tried to mm-hmm. repair any uh, negative issues that was out there, and that made people begin to trust me. Uh, people began to believe that I had integrity, and, you know, a lot of time I didn't even have to ask people to join, you know, because the word was getting around that AFGE, Local 1945, was doing its job, you know. And, um, you know, but I set out to make sure that we organized. Matter of fact, we organized 103% from the time that I became president till I left as national vice president, we had increased by 103%. Uh, we went from just over 1,200 members to 2,600 dues-paying members, you know, uh, from the time that I was in uh, as president. That's very good. Congratulations. And now you are the national president of the American Federation of Government Employees, and that organizing is continuing here. So how, how does uh, how does the union look today? I mean, I mentioned that you took over right before the shutdown, the pandemic. We had a lot of struggles. The previous administration wasn't very kind to government workers. We know that. And we want to talk about where you are now and where you're going. So your assessment, sir, what, 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 how would you view the union today? Well, you know, I'm very proud of AFGE. Uh, I'm proud of the workforce in AFGE, and I'm extremely proud of the membership. Uh, we are very fortunate to have such a patriotic membership and workforce. You know, the workforce uh, is a testament within itself, okay, because that's why AFGE is so successful. Now, we've had uh, a great organizing, uh, I'm going to say two years because we were losing quite a bit of members as a result of uh, the pandemic and the previous administration. Uh, they came at us hard. But, you know, I'm proud of the AFG members that stood there, grit their teeth, and said, you know what, we're going to fight back. And they stood there, you know, and, and although they were kicked out of their, their, their um, uh, uh, union offices, they set up camp outside the gate. And they kept fighting back. And, you know, we are grateful for this administration. I'm going to tell you that because, you know, the minute that uh, this administration took over, they threw us a lifeline. And we are very appreciative of that. And, you know, we are now moving in the right direction in every aspect of unionism. 
Well, one of the issues that you're fighting for is more pay. And I know for a fact that a lot of members of your union and other unions, and we talk to the teachers a lot, there's a problem there with uh, people leaving the profession because of the conditions in a lot of the schools, the uh, the attacks on public education, and then you got pay. And they're saying, you know what, I, I can't put up with this anymore. I, I need a job that's going to pay me more. And I'm reading about the, the pay gap for government workers. I'm, I'm looking at a 7.4% pay raise that's needed here. Um, where are we with that? Because, but you got some catching up to do here, don't you? Yes, sir. You know, we, we, we are very, um, far behind the public sector, you know, about, you know, on average, you know, federal employees are still paid, you know, about 27% less than workers in the private sector, you know, and we're fighting for a 7.4% pay increase, you know, and that's why it's important. Uh, one of the major ways we can improve the treatment of federal employees is if we pass the FAIR Act, right? That's what we mm-hmm. got to do. You know, we got to pass the FAIR Act. And we are, we're encouraging all the lawmakers, you know, to pass the FAIR Act because that still doesn't bring us, you know, equal to the public sector, but it put us in a better position. Private sector, I'm sorry. You know, uh, but it puts us in a better position than where we are right now. So that's why we're pushing for the passage of the FAIR Act. So, sir, where are we with that? Do we have enough support to make that happen? Well, the bill was recently introduced in both the House and the Senate, and, you know, we don't know at this point, you know, but we're, we're hopeful that, you know, it passes because it will increase pay for federal employees, you know, which is definitely needed. So at this point, we can't give an accurate description of where it really is. We remain hopeful that, you know, the fact will pass. Everett Kelly joining us on our live line today. He is national president of the American Federation of Government Employees. You can get complete updates at AFGE.org. And you could follow them on X, formerly known as Twitter, as AFGE National. AFGE National. We'll continue with uh, Mr. Kelly later in the show. We're going to check in with Eric Dean, who's president of the Iron Workers. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook, Google, and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF travel for more information. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. 
This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Iron Workers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. When you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, where you can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go back to our live line and rejoin Everett Kelly. Mr. Kelly is the national president of the American Federation of Government Employees. And I figured, well, today's President's Day, so let's talk to presidents, union presidents. We we don't care about the other guys. So let's talk about the people that are making a difference in our lives. And I'm talking about a positive impact on people's lives here. And AFGE has done that for a very long time. Mr. Kelly, I was on your uh, website reading about the history of your union, which was founded in 1932 which was a very challenging time in our nation's history, right in the middle of the Great Depression, stock market crash three years before that. Then President Herbert Hoover imposed a 15% pay cut on government employees. Then FDR comes in there, and this was a surprise to me. Roosevelt vetoed a bill that would restore the pay cut. AFGE successfully mobilized members to get Congress to override the veto and stop the government from seeing its budget on workers' backs. You know, some of that has not changed. I mean, it's, it's, it's always, don't you feel like, you know, everybody takes it out on the government workers. Don't, don't you get, aren't you just sick and tired of that, Everett? I am absolutely sick and tired of that. You know, it, it appears that, you know, we walk around with targets on our back, right? And they said, that's uh-huh. a federal employee. Let's see what we can do, you know, to harm that individual there because they're a federal employee. And we are absolutely tired of it. And, you know, that's why we're coming together, um, you know, to fight against those things. AFG's yeah. always yeah. had a history of fighting against those things, and we will continue to fight, you know. And when we pull together like we have been, we will win. I noticed too last week you had and you just wrapped this up your uh, your legislative conference or legislative convention where you know you you gotta you gotta meet the people that are making the laws and we're talking about the you know those in in Congress whether they're a senator whether they're a representative because they they pull the strings here they pull the strings now you've been doing this this kind of thing in years past. How successful have they been over the years in your uh, in your estimation, Mr. Kelly? Well, you know, I can just speak, you know, for, I've been coming to legislative conferences a long time, and I think that they speak volumes for the organization. It, it, it says a lot to uh, the uh, lawmakers on the Hill 
you know, when they see AFGE members coming in in droves, right? And that's exactly what happens. Uh, I mean, from all around the country, you know, AFGE members are coming in, and they're saying to the lawmakers, look, you know, we need you to make sure that you support bills that are sensitive to the issues of AFGE. And, and they do that with pride. You know, I couldn't have been more excited uh, than I was when we finished up our legislative conference. I couldn't have been. Good. Good. One of the issues that keeps popping up is privatization, and uh, th- it's not a good idea. It, it, obviously, a lot of these uh, services are awarded to to individuals and companies that do, you know, obviously they do the bidding. A lot of them are donors to various political campaigns. Where where are we with uh, with privatization? I know they're doing a whole lot with the with the VA, but uh, in your opinion, uh, are we are we keeping this at bay right now? Well, you know, I would say overall that's a true statement, but we still have those pockets where, you know, we're not aware of and, and, and you know, we can't control that. Uh, but privatization is one of the things that, you know, we fight against every single day because we know that, you know, private contractors are about the bottom line. They're about the profit. And we are proud uh, uh, members of AFGE working every day to service the people of America. And that's what gives us, you know, in my opinion, the edge because they're so patriotic and they're about making sure that the members, you know, make sure that America gets the services that it needs and deserves rather than the bottom line making a profit. And that's the difference. And, and you know, our members work hard every day to make sure that they show up any contractor that want to take that job. Let's talk a little bit about the significance of this month as Black History Month. And I was reading of your uh, about your commitment to social justice, civil rights, workers' rights, and uh, I, I guess you deserve a whole lot of accolades for what happened a couple of years ago. Mr. Everett Kelly was awarded the AFL-CIO's Eyes on the Prize Award. This happened at the uh, 2022 AFL-CIO Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Civil and Human Rights Conference. We talk a lot. We promote that conference on the show a lot. In fact, uh, you probably know Fred Redman from the AFL-CIO. Oh, of yeah, of what a great guy. Yeah, what a great proud guy. Proud to know yeah. Fred. He, he's the best. He really is. And uh, yeah, yeah. We, really, we really nurtured a great relationship with him. I knew him all through his days at the Steelworkers, almost 50 years at the Steelworkers. And now he's the wow. number two guy, the secretary treasurer at the AFL-CIO. But uh, the importance, the importance of social justice. And boy, I tell you, and it seems here in the last couple of years, things have really gotten out of control. What's your assessment here of, uh, and the importance, there's, there's a couple of, couple of conversations here that I'd like to have with you. But the importance of recognizing the history of black Americans that have paved the way in so many ways. I mean, if you go on the internet, you'll find so many different people, people like Fred that are living today, you know, people from years past. And we've been talking about them on the show here many, many times, uh, like Philip Randolph. There's, there's a perfect example right there. But in your opinion, um, I'd like to hear from you and, and what your union, AFGE, is doing to, to, to talk about the people that, that got us here today. Everett, this is all yours. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, let me just say that I am proud of my union, you know, that has recognized the contributions 
you know, black America for many years. Um, you may uh, remember uh, our first African-American uh, national president, John Studderman, uh, who was a savior to AFGE. He made vast contributions uh, to the labor movement, you know, and, you know, I'm proud of the fact that our members fight every single day, you know, for, you know, uh, the black community to make sure mm -hmm. that, you know, pay and, 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 and all of those benefits are, you know, that, that's a, it's equal across the board. That's vitally important. And AFGE fights for that. AFGE fights for the rights of all people, but paying particularly attention to, you know, uh, the poverty stricken and, you know, in the black community It's so important. And our people enjoy being on that battlefield. Now, has your union, and I'm sure this is up to the locals, everybody's got different ways of uh, showcasing what African-Americans have done for, for the benefit of workers, all workers, white, black, doesn't matter what color they are. But uh, can you reference any of that, of what's been happening here this month? Because it, it seems to me, and we're doing the best that we can here on America's Workforce, it seems to be picking up some momentum, and maybe that's due to the times that we're in. Well, you know, we, we, we have, as a matter of fact, I just, I'm just releasing the video this week uh, that highlights some of the contributions that African-Americans uh, have made, uh, such as A. Philip Randolph. We all know, you know, his contributions. Uh, Carla Mays, you know, uh, Clara, I'm sorry, Clara Mays, uh, you know, we all know the contribution that she made, you know, and, and we're going to continue to highlight, you know, hopefully uh, during the course of this month, you know, various local uh, AFG members, you know, and their contributions uh, to uh, not just labor movement, but to, you know, the community that they serve. You know, it's vitally important that we do that. You know, uh, I'm proud uh, myself. You know, I, I became the first African-American uh, to serve as president of my local union in Anderson, Alabama. Uh, then I became the first African-American to serve as the national vice president of District 5, representing the southeastern region and the second African-American to serve as president of AFGE. You know, and just across AFGE, African-Americans are making vast contributions, you know, to the labor movement and to their community. Now, when you were in the Army, can, can you reflect on that time? And being in Alabama, too. Alabama is a lot different than a lot of other states. And I, I'm yeah. sure... I'm sure you grew a pretty thick skin growing up and, and look where you are today. I mean, you're, you're so accomplished, sir, but, uh, the, the times that you grew up into today, we seem to be getting better, but in some cases I, I scratch my head. <laughs> Can you share any thoughts on your behalf? Well, you know, I often, you know, and I, and I, and I served in the pulpit for over 31 and a half years. I, I don't know if uh, I ever told you that or not, uh, but, I, I, I was bivocational. I worked for the government, and I pastored the church full time. And I would always make the statement, especially, you know, at this time of the year, we've come so far, yet we have so much further to go, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we, 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 we've seen a lot of progress, uh, but we still yet have a long ways to go in order to see uh, live, rather, that dream that Dr. King talked about. You know, he talks about the um, arc of justice being, I mean, the, the, the arc bends toward justice, right? But mm -hmm. there is a, 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 a continuation there. The, the, the thing is that we have to bend that arc, right? 
we have to continue to move in the direction that Dr. King was going. Because if we don't, we can't just expect things to happen, you know, just because, you know, things were wrong. We can't expect them to be right unless we make them right. And so uh, I think that, you know, we have made progress, but we still have so much further to go. Well, we're going to leave it on that note. Everett Kelly, national president of the American Federation of Government Employees. He's had that position for four years, been a member of AFGE since 1981. Sir, with this conversation, it sounds like you still got a lot of fight left in you. Am I reading you correctly? <laughs> hey, I've been fighting all my life, you know. But, you know, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know if I could do it physically anymore. Um, you know, and I learned a long time ago that we got to learn to fight intellectually rather than physically anyway. And so my fight is, you know, trying to make sure that Congress understand the necessity of taking care of federal employees. That's, that's my fight, you know, and I'll always fight for that, you know, until I'm no longer on this earth. Mm -hmm. And that's a good fight, sir. A very good fight. All right, we're gonna we're gonna let you go. Let's uh, let's do this again. Let's stay in touch more often. We appreciate what you bring to the table. We appreciate you as a sponsor here on America's Workforce. Okay, does that sound good? Sound great to me. All right. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, Eric Dean, president of the Iron Workers, back in a few. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Layuna. Find out what it takes for Layuna to keep America running at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. 
America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Well, as I indicated at the top of the show, today is President's Day, the day that we salute our presidents, presidents of the United States. But this being a union show, we are saluting and talking to and getting as much information as we can from presidents of unions. And joining us on our live line right now is Eric Dean. He's been on the show, uh, I guess, a couple of times, but uh, not enough. we got to get you back on the show more often, Mr. Eric Dean. Thank you for joining us today. Ironworkers.org is the website. And how are we doing today, my brother? I'm doing well. Um, first of all, good afternoon, and thank you for the opportunity to talk to all your listeners and uh, participate in the show. It's, uh, it means a lot to the Iron Workers Union and to me. And you know what? It means a lot to me to be doing the show from Iron Workers Local 17. We, we located here right during the pandemic because I think everybody got kicked out of radio stations, so we had to do the show remotely. And I'll be honest, I like it here so much, I'm staying here. <laughs> I, I have that opportunity to go back, but I like being around the guys here and, and some of the ladies too. So it, it's definitely a, a good group here. So you got a very strong union here in Northeastern Ohio. Talk to me about the iron workers here. Uh, we're looking at, uh, let's see, what is it? Uh, 120,000 members in North America. I saw that on your website. How are we doing with that number? Is it going up? There's a lot of work going on out there because of the good, the good policy coming out of Washington. Where do we stand with that number, and what do you see moving forward on that, Eric? We have fluctuated up and down. <clears throat> if our website is inaccurate, we're currently at about 129,000 members. Okay. And, uh, you know, what? Well, we have uh, challenges like everyone else does. Uh, we've got a lot of baby boomers in our midst in all the building trades, and they, they're getting ready for well-deserved retirements. So what we're trying to do is, post-pandemic is take in enough apprentices, organize enough open shop uh, workers into the workforce, and keep up with the ever-increasing demand with all that government investment that you referred to. Yeah, we had some uh, good policy here. Uh, four pieces of legislation, starting out with the American Rescue Plan, saving those pensions, and then you got the, the Bipartisan Infrastructure and Jobs Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act. Uh, I know I talked to a lot of the trades. They got a lot of work and the, the apprenticeship programs. They're, they're doing pretty well. Uh, your assessment, I know you do a lot of traveling around the country. How are they faring in your opinion? I mean, you're a longtime iron worker. You entered the trade back in the 80s. Uh, you got a perspective here that you know, a, lot of, a lot of people can't give. Uh, so I'd like to get, hear from, from you on how we're doing. A proud, proud to be the chairman of the National Training Fund, which oversees our national curriculum, actually both countries, the United States and Canada. And our apprenticeship numbers are good. We're north of uh, 20% globally, a uh, little higher in Canada, and about 21% in the United States. And uh, it is uh, the core way that we've taken entry-level folks into the union teach them the skills from soup to nuts and bring them in. But we've really evolved in our training programs because what we're doing now is we're retraining a lot of journeymen that 
went to went through courses a while ago, and then there's new certifications. So our, our training is the gold standard of what we do. That's good and to hear. And we don't just train brand, apprentices who start on day one. We are starting now to take a lot of organized members in, and they, they're like, limited on a certain segment of ironworking, but they need to round off their skills. So we're doing a lot of journeyman upgrading and focused uh, skill training. And uh, that's what differentiates us and our workers. They possess some of the best skills in the construction industry, and it all rides through our joint apprenticeship committees and our journeyman upgrading programs. And if there's one thing about training when it comes to uh, the iron workers, it's safety first. And I remember the conversation you and Hyde, you and I had a couple of years ago, and we were talking about uh, what was it? See something, say something. It's so important, boy. You, you know, when you go to work at the beginning of the day, you want to make sure you come home at the end of the day. And if you get injured, well, hopefully that injury is not very, very serious. How are we doing in that regard, Eric? Last year we had one of the best uh, years as far as uh, fatalities on job sites go. Until we get to zero, we're not going to rest. We, we lost, unfortunately, two members, and for those families, they'll feel like we failed them. But there, there was a period of time where we were in the 20s and in the teens. So we are really hammering on that training. We're asking everyone to be the brother's keeper. And we're not just counting on the fact that we taught you for the four years during your apprenticeship. We're rolling out a lot of safety supervisor training. We're doing a lot of uh, fall protection training because that's the number one causation for most of our members getting hurt or injured or, God forbid, uh, suffering a job site fatality. And we are doing as best as we can, but... uh, I'll never be satisfied until I know that everybody goes to work and then they go home the same way they came to work and they can uh, then plan on a nice, healthy retirement with a sound body and a sound mind because uh, that's that's a real struggle. Uh, it's a physically demanding job, and we just got to make sure we have the best equipment and the best uh, safety training going to keep everyone safe and take no shortcuts. Well, I know you worked really hard to get to this point, and, and as you pointed out, the, the job is not done, but... What happened last year? And there's a lot of work, too. You think about all the jobs that are out there, but making it such a, a, a good year, and I know you're very proud of that, was there something, or, or did it finally sink in as far as all the training that you did? What, what, what's your take on that? We've always prided ourselves on our training, but what we're trying to do now is, like everyone, we're using data, right? Uh, we know where our membership's ages are and what the timeline is, and then what the government investment is. So we're able to help uh, geographical areas forecast what their workforce demand is, what their pace of retirements are, and what their intake of new candidates should be. And then the other places, the easiest place to go find an iron worker, if there are some open shop uh, workers in the area, is have a conversation, attempt to organize the company, and uh, talk to the workers about, uh, you know, long-term retirement security and health care and the things that go along with a good collective bargaining agreement. We're speaking with Eric Dean, who is the general president of the Iron Workers Union, knocking on 130,000 strong from coast to coast and parts of Canada as well. Ironworkers.org is their website. Eric, I want to switch gears here a little bit. As you know, there's a push to get more females, people of color involved in the trades, and we've done a lot with the Tradeswomen Build Nations Conference. I know you're a part of that. I know you've got members 
that are speaking out and, and they're recruiting as many females and people of color. Your assessment of what's going on? Are, are we? Uh, it seems like the needle's going in the right direction. <laughs> what do you think? Well, with that demand, you know, the, what we've done was uh, for too long the trades were a father-to-son business, and we relied on families to tell their families when there was opportunity. We were missing large swaths of population. First of all, there's nothing wrong with a father-to-daughter business, right? So recruiting, mm-hmm. many people will recruit their sons into the business and uh, steer their daughters away. Um, the demand by many of the builders and many of the uh, construction end users are that the workforce is going to reflect the community. And so we made a conscious effort, as you talked about, trades women build nations. That's run through the building trades. Well, the sister in charge of that, I'm proud to say, is from our union, and she does a tremendous job rallying, you know, for all the trades collectively and empowering women to seek careers in the trade and affiliate with different uh, groups that are pipelines to more workers. And then in addition, the North American Building Trades, we have apprenticeship readiness programs. And at last count, I think it was over 180 cities we are reaching into uh, communities of color, inner city places where we haven't traditionally drawn folks to, to improve not only our diversity, but also our um, racial diversity and gender diversity. Good, good. Let's go back to um, the money that's that's coming out of Washington. And I saw this uh, posted on your website. $5 billion in funding for major infrastructure projects across the nation. And it's so important. When, when you see a skyline, and I love this. I, I love what you uh, post on your homepage. Iron workers are the backbone of America's infrastructure. When you take a look at a city skyline, there's an iron worker responsible for that. <laughs> there's no doubt about that. No doubt at all. And uh, I, I saw this. This is out of uh, what Superior, Wisconsin. And I, I guess uh, there's going to be a lot of money. What is it? A uh, billion dollars out of that five billion going to the Blatnick Bridge. That sounds pretty exciting, and it sounds like a lot of good jobs there. Can you uh, give us some details on that? Yeah, the president recently went and met with one of our representatives and a group of building trades folks. And uh, as they're given an allocation, those contractors in the area rely on skilled trades workers and we're getting a project labor agreement, and it's going to gamefully employ a lot of tradespeople, including many ironworkers from that area. What, would that be uh, local 512? I'm, I'm looking it at is, some it's notes. The 512 here. Duluth chapter is where that bridge sec, sec, section was located, but no area is immune to the government investment. So we're monitoring where these investments are and making sure that our workforce is ready and that we're not like taxed working on all the existing projects that will have mm-hmm. enough people in the pipeline or will travel as many workers as we need to to make sure we sufficiently staff those jobs. Eric Dean, General President of the Iron Workers, Iron Workers National, ironworkers.org. You've been president, I see, since uh, for almost, what is it, nine years? It was in July of 2015. So let me ask you, how do you like being president of, of a union like this? I uh, consider it the greatest honor of my life that I achieved this position. Uh, I don't take it uh, lightly that there's a lot of responsibility for 
safe working environment, uh, asking both the United States and Canadian government to make investments that benefit society, not only to put our members to work on the construction jobs, but to leave a lasting improvement. It might be your commute to work. It might be getting goods to market. The opportunity um, to speak with a one voice on behalf of all my members is the privilege of a lifetime that I don't take lightly. I tire of politics sometimes because politicians can be politicians. Oh, yeah. But we've seen some significant change in the respect for workers who want to organize and have a collective bargaining agreement. And a lot of that has to do with us. You know, it doesn't matter who's in the White House or who's in the State House. We will knock on those doors to make sure that our case is being heard. And sometimes we try and prevent bad things from happening, and sometimes we foster good things happening. One thing I want to mention to you, it's totally unrelated, but you touched on it. You're in Local 17. The Inflation Reduction or the American Rescue Plan offered pension relief for distressed pension plans. Mm-hmm. Cleveland Local 17 ironworkers received one of the largest government infusions of investment so that those retirees could get restored pension cuts that were taken away due to a collapsing industrial economy. And the workers ended up, the retirees had to take pay cuts. And it was, it was the right thing to do by the government. And those are the types of things that I love knocking on Congress's door, asking Republicans and Democrats to support the investment in dignity and retirement, the investment on infrastructure jobs, promoting safety, meeting with the Department of Labor regularly on safety initiatives. It, it's a challenging job. It's a rewarding job. And so I, I, I guess the longest answer I gave you should have been it is uh, a really great job that I'm proud to have. Well, I tell you, you worked hard to get where you are today. I mean, you started 40 years ago. Well, when you completed your apprenticeship program, I'm looking at your bio here, 1984. That's a, that's a long time ago, and, and you're, you're in the president's seat, and we're happy to have you there. So, Eric, you keep doing the great work that you're doing. Eric Dean, general president of the Ironworkers. Do check him out online, ironworkers.org. I failed to mention the Facebook page. It's uh, Union Ironworkers and uh, the Twitter handle, or X, the Ironworkers. That's a hashtag. Eric, you take care, stay safe, and please stay in touch. Okay, brother? Happy President's Day to everyone, and thank you for having me on the show. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, the Ohio Federation of Teachers and the man behind the documentary, Rekindling the Flame. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.